Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio in association with Fidelity Investments. We are the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you news in tech from around Ireland and across the world every Friday evening on RTE Radio. Or of course you can get it first anytime you like on a Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app from Apple or Spotify or Google or whoever you use. Our sponsor this week, Fidelity Investments, specialise in fintech innovation and are hiring for tech roles in Ireland right now. If you're an online worker or this is the kind of freedom you've always dreamed of, you can find out more about how to virtually join their team at fidelityinvestments.ie and I will give you that uh, later on in the podcast and of course it's in the show notes as well anyway. My name is Dusty Rhodes and this is eight, episode 866. Joining me as always is our editor-in-chief, uh, Niall Kitson. We're both kind of a little bit mad this week. I am madly in love. Oh. Oh, oh. And Nile, and Nile is just mad. So just regular let's just, mad. Let, let's start off with regular mad, Nile. What's regular what's mad? Okay. Well, some, some sad news that was released this week with the dissolution of the Digital Hub Development Agency. Now, for those of you who don't know what the Digital Hub is, I'm sure most people do at this stage. Um, it's, I suppose, a, a precursor to a co-working space. It was set up in 2003 uh, with an idea uh, of fostering um, new uh, technology businesses. And so many companies have been through there. Um, You know, Stripe, Slack, I think Amazon had an office there at one stage. Uh, Currently, you've got the likes of Bizimply and you've got um, Lonely Planet as well uh, there as well. So uh, it takes about 50 companies at a go. I think it's had something like 2,000 employees go through its doors at, at various stages because people, you know, would start off with an office of two and then they grow and they move out uh, as is as is the way of these things, which is which is kind of what you want. You know, it's it's still to this day, it's, it's the model of co-working spaces. You know, you start small and then do you know what? You don't need to be renting out a desk for two anymore, you can probably afford your own office or, or whatever way you decide to continue working. Uh, so what made the Digital Hub quite interesting was that it not only had business supports in place, that it was not it was more than just a simple co-working space. There'd be, you know, yes, there is that networking element, but you know what? There's also schemes and things that you can engage with if you want. But they also had, a, a, or rather have, a tremendous social conscience and the Hub considers itself as very much a part of the Dublin age area and specifically the, the liberties, which would be regarded as sort of a, a socially deprived area, uh, I guess, in recent years. And uh, so they did an awful lot in terms of education, in terms of outreach. Uh, of course, they have their artist in residence program. Of course, a couple of years ago, we, we interviewed their technologist in residence. Uh, they also do programs for younger people in movie and music production. They also have uh, an outreach for older people to promote digital literacy. They do all so much stuff that benefits the area. And of course, they're involved in the Smart D8 uh, project that we talked about uh, only a few weeks ago. So the Digital Hub is much more than a co-working space, but it has been, uh, it has had difficulties in recent years, primarily because its income is fixed, right? It, it relies on rent, basically. Uh, rent and, you know, government funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, if one of those elements comes under pressure, 
they they have problems. They have severe problems. Uh, as a result, uh, I think it was 2019, the government commissioned a report which was carried out by Grant Thornton, which finished up last July, just looking into the, the ongoing uh, feasibility of the DHDA. And uh, I'm sure COVID played a role in looking at, okay, well, look, if anything affects the steady stream mm-hmm. of income, uh, if people decide to remote work, if people decide that, you know, um, it's just not, it's just not worth coming to set up here, if they can get a better office or a cheaper office or, or what have you, that it's probably better looking down a, a different route. So the DHDA is going to be replaced by basically a land development agency. And they're going to have a look at what's there in terms of the digital hub, what kind of space is there. And they're going to repurpose it into sort of a mix of commercial space, enterprise space, and also housing as well. So basically, okay, so- okay, right. My take on it is that I think it's a loss to the city. I think it's a loss to business. Mm. And mm. I think it's um, it's a negative when it comes to trying to grow not only the tech sector in Ireland, but making tech accessible to people that wouldn't normally have access to it. So for me, it's a thumbs down. From you, I'm detecting some skepticism. No, I, I'm, I'm not sceptical uh, because everything you say, I remember the Digital Hub and I know many companies that started in the Digital Hub and back in the early noughties, it was fantastic because you would have high speed internet access there. It would be somewhere that you could go to work without taking on, you know, a full premises and all that kind of stuff. And you would have a room and you'd have two people and then you'd be able to share kitchens and meeting rooms and open spaces. and stuff. It was fantastic. But the world has changed since and we now have a lot of commercial companies who are doing uh, uh, remote workspaces uh, all over the city. And also the fact in the last year that we've seen the move to working from home anyway. Mm. So I don't think the digital hub is quite as relevant as it was when it began. However, the key thing that made it really special was that it was very focused do you know what mm. I mean? It was yeah. kind of, you know, it was tech related companies who want to start off. The digital hub is your home. And I love that. And all of the things you said about, um, you know, kind of having special evenings and all that kind of stuff is as is as applicable today as it would have been in 2003 uh, when it started. Um, I think the shame of it is that it seems to be that the people at the digital hub were just told out of the blue yeah, we're shutting you down. That's the impression that I got. And there's been no time to allow for, well, look, can we move? Can we can we go to a different part of the city? Um, on the plus side, I think what they're doing with the Land Development Agency is they are developing a new city quarter. And who knows, maybe technology will be part of that. It could be the theme for, for the quarter. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. And and I hope these uh, the programs that were in existence do find a home somewhere and that mindset mm. travels somewhere. Um, I, I am concerned. I mean, uh, you know, the, the only statement that I got from it was actually from the uh, Digital Hub uh, Development Agency themselves. I didn't get an official one from government. So I, I got one part of this, one half of the story. And mm. the other half may as well not have happened. As I say, it was it was a, a review that began in 2019. So there was something in the air that, you know, maybe the expansion plans wouldn't be backed mm. up by the uh, revenue potential. I mm. don't know. You're you're a more savvy savvy businessman than I, Dusty. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Well, compared to you, maybe. 
I wouldn't say I'm a savvy businessman, but I I I can see the uh, uh, the sense in it. Um, that was that was really insulting. I do apologise for that. Now, <laughs> I, I I am only making a joke as as always. You, you know, do you know what? Don't put me near dead people because my my gallows humour is just appallingly bad. All right, you know, I will be standing there with the casket open and I'll lean over to somebody and go, "Was there a will?" <laughs> so that's Did just my sense of humour. It's just my sense of humour. All right, um, but anyway, uh, business wise, listen. One thing that I picked up in the last couple of weeks, and this is really interesting. Okay, because we're going mm-hmm. through a, a, a level of change and churn in the world. Okay, and you can either go, "Oh no, everything's changing. What am I going to do?" And a lot of people are like that. And then there are other people like me who kind of go, "Wow, this is cool. New opportunities. Mm. Things are changing. New things are going to happen." All right. Um, mm. It's like if you look at Amazon and you go, oh, my God, they're so big and the stock is so expensive. I wanted to buy a share in them or Apple shares. Oh, I wish I got in on that years ago. Or Bitcoin is, is the other thing. I wish I got on that years ago. You've got to remember one thing. There's stuff happening right now that in five years time, people will be saying, I wish I got in on that early. Yeah, and it's true. happening right now. So you've just got to go and find that opportunity. And then the other thing uh, that I heard during the week, and I thought this is really good, and it applies to all of us, okay, in anything in your life. And it could be just, you know, being part of a sports club or it could be a job or it could be t- t- a car that you own or something like that. When you are doing the same thing or have the same thing all the time, you, you eventually just kind of get bored and in a routine and it just, it coasts along. Everything's fine. All right. Yeah, it's settled and all that. But as soon as you change, things start to change and exciting new things start to happen in your life. And maybe things start to grow. Maybe you get a new car and you go, do you know what? We're going to go for a drive today. And off you go and you see a new part of the country that you would never have seen with the old car. Do you know what I mean? With a new job, maybe it means suddenly you've got a bump up in your wage or something like that. And now you've got more money to go out and do other things. So like change is a really, really good thing. So I think with the digital hub closing, it breaks my heart. I'm not mad like you are, but it does break my heart. And I do think it's sad. And I don't think it's fair that this is kind of like just been, it appears to have been landed because I saw an article with one of the head guys from the board of the digital hub who went, whoa, that was a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't think that's the right way to do it. But other than that, yeah, I, I, I kind of get it. Yeah. Okay. Can we move on to my love affair? Let's move on to your love affair. Let's, let's have a positive story. Can you guess who I'm in love with? Who? Who specifically? Well, what? <laughs> what? Okay, I'm, I'm going to guess it is something with Samsung. Yes! How did you know? <laughs> Samsung uh, were out uh, this week uh, with their latest unpacked event and they were showing off their brand new laptops. Oh my God. Okay, I've, okay. Right. Do you, do you I've remember? I've just seen my birthday present. <laughs> do you, do you, you know what? The last Samsung laptop I remember was a netbook. Do you remember netbooks? Remember yeah. when those were a thing? Yeah, 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 I do. And they've been kind of like making laptops and none of them have really kind of made me go, oh, Yeah, well, they got one. out of laptops for a while because they, they, they just decided no, they, 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 they weren't they've, that. They've been at it, but we just forgot. Okay, that's, that's, that's an way interesting way to look at it because, but what, uh, yeah, go on. What they've announced this week is a, a new set of laptops, which they described as being as powerful as a PC, but as thin as a phone. Okay, right. Put that right. picture in your head. Mm-hmm. A 
powerful PC as thin as a phone. Okay, I think the MacBook Air is 17 millimeters thick and that's mm-hmm. like, that's not thick at all. That's like very slim. All right, mm-hmm. 17 millimeters. How can you get computing into 17 millimeters? It's a miracle. Samsung Until do it in 11. 11 millimeters. It's like, what? The okay, MacBook Air, I love it because it's like, uh, what is it? It's just over, a, oh no, it's a little bit more than over a, a kilogram, 1.3 kilograms, I think, or something like that. But it's very light. Mm. And I know this because I had a MacBook Pro for a long time and I was carrying it around. Mm. And then when I got the MacBook Air, it was like, oh my God, my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> my shoulder just thanked me, right? Uh, so 1.3, thereabouts, uh, uh, kilograms for the MacBook Air. This uh, new Samsung uh, Book Pro is 0.9. Mm, that's pretty tasty. Now, we all know what the Samsung screens look like on their phones. Mm-hmm. That's yep. the screen they've put in the laptop. Yep, they've carried it over. Oh. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm positively drooling. And then on top of that, I mean, they've got, you can have uh, your choice of Intel i5 or i7. They're doing the latest 11th gen. So there's plenty of power in there. Uh, they do whatever, 8, 16 gigs of RAM, if that's what you want. They've got, uh, now the, the connections like a lot of laptops these days are not great. There's one Thunderbolt, there's one mm-hmm. USB 3, there's one USB-C. That is um, the trade-off. Yeah, it is, unfortunately. Uh, but they do still include a micro SD reader. Which which is which will be popular with a lot of people like you. Does yeah. this does it have a 3.5 millimeter jack? It does. Oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's and it does covering Bluetooth a lot of bases. It is, absolutely. Uh, the battery that they have in it will run, they say, for 20, 21 hours. So you get a full day out of it anyway, or two full days anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, now, there it, there is one downside. There's one downside to this. One this is what downside. Every, everybody who has a MacBook uh, also complains about this. The webcam is 720p. Okay, okay. Well, you know, look. You, you want to be doing 1080 these days, dude. Well, here's the thing. We're doing Zoom so much that I don't mm. think having a slightly lower resolution camera is the end of the world. I don't. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll give you mean? that. I, I remember when HDTV came out first and uh, and people were giving out going, I don't need to see that much of their face. <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> like there every you go. spot is coming out clear as day. It's like, no, 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 no. Bring me back to the old telly. <laughs> yeah, I, I know when people were watching certain science fiction TV shows, they're like, I can uh-huh. see the fact that those aren't buttons. <laughs> I can see that they're stickers. <laughs> Do you know the other thing uh, about Samsung, and this is this is what kind of excites me, uh, is that it's cheaper than a MacBook Air. It's much cheaper. It's mm. much cheaper. So mm. the entry price on the lowest model, uh, according to uh, Samsung, uh, this is an i5 processor with eight gigs of RAM, two two fifty six uh, gigs of storage, mm-hmm. comes in at seven six nine. Can you believe it? Yeah, that's fifteen point like, wow. six inch screen. That yeah. is so good. Yeah, that is so. I'm so definitely. Good. I'm, I'm kind of in my head now because I'm definitely in, in in the mood for buying. I, I have been waiting. The, I'm waiting for the M2 to come out with Apple, which is happening in June. I believe. There you go. So I'm, I'm going to be all over that like a rash. All right, mm. uh, and, and I'm and I'm literally like thinking in my head: Am I going to get two Mac Minis? 
uh, one to run a PC on and one to run a Mac on. And then I went, mm-hmm. no, because I'd have to get an old Mac Mini, wouldn't I, with an Intel processor? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm looking at parallels. That maybe I'll run Windows on the actual Mac and be able to just use Windows like a within a window. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Is, getting, this is like Inception. Um, yeah. Or I'm thinking of getting, will I get a, just one 16-inch MacBook Pro and run everything on that? Or da, da, da. Anyway, all of this that I've been thinking for the last two, three weeks now has gone, whoa-oh, but the Samsung one is really nice. <laughs> it is. And like, if you if you look to spec it up, I mean, the uh, what the top spec on it is, what, mm. 15.6 inches, an i7 processor, 16 mm. gigs of RAM, 512 gigs of storage, 1700 euro. That's still yeah. significantly cheaper than the 16 inch MacBook Pro. Oh, absolutely. You're looking, what, two and a half grand for, for, yeah. for the 16-inch? So, like, yeah. you know. So. Yeah, anyway, uh, I really, do you know what? If I just wanted a Windows PC that was really slim and I was doing office work and that kind of stuff on it, like, you know, kind of nothing, nothing, no video editing or anything like that, yeah. I, I'd run out and buy one tomorrow. Yeah. I feel like doing that anyway because I need a little bump. <laughs> <laughs> I need it. I need a bump. Listen, you, you mentioned Zoom. Toy. <laughs> Zoom also in the news this week and this is great because this is a brand new toy that's free and you can play with it and you can do this tonight alright if you've got a Zoom and uh, it's a thing they've introduced called Immersive View Immersive View now do you use a background on your Zoom calls or do you just use you know your your room I, ju- I just use the room and it's fine but I have kind of set up my room so that behind me I have ju- I just bought a, a set of curtains which hides a set of um, shelves that are behind me mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately my curtains look like uh, bath curtains <laughs> people go are you in the bathroom it's like no I'm not <laughs> but that's what I have at the moment no I don't use the uh, uh, the background on the thing but because it always struck me as kind of being a little bit hmm but what they've done now with uh, Immersive View is essentially uh, they will have one background mm-hmm. and then you will place all of the people in your conversation on that same background and all of their backgrounds will be cut out. So all you're seeing literally is the head and the shoulders of the person mm. and they're being superimposed on a background, which is something like a um, like a lecture hall or something like that in, in a mm. university uh, and, or like a classroom or something like that. Or they've got one for, for two people having a conversation, which is like a coffee shop. Mm. And I really like it because I'll tell you why I really like it. Because I mean, the backgrounds are fine or having windows, but you can see everybody is somewhere different. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the immersive view, everybody is sitting in with the same background and it almost kind of looks, feels, is tricking the brain somewhat that everybody is more together than they really are. That is a really interesting point, because when you when you think about the main problem people have with Zoom meetings is that they feel knackered by the end of mm. them. There's just so much information to process. Mm. If you if you manage to cut down on that in any way. It has to be positive. It has to be a good thing. So if you can get a uniform background around everyone, you know, I'm sure just that little bit of help in, you know, slowing down your natural Mm. processing speed can only be healthy. That, that, That idea has to have come from somewhere. I mean, that's just not novelty stuff. No, that's some shrink in the background. I went, what if? (laughs) <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> but I think it's great I think it's great if you want to try it out uh, Immersive View the f- two couple of things you need to have the latest version of Zoom so just to update your software you need to enable the setting on your online account 
Okay, uh, though from what I can see, it's kind of set as default anyway. Uh, so download the latest Zoom. When you start a meeting, just go up to the view at the top right hand corner. Instead of clicking gallery or whatever the other option is, just click uh, immersive view and try it out. Yeah. And, you know, and have, if, if you're someone that does back to back Zoom meetings or something like that, let us know how you get on. Because, you know, does it actually help or are you still knackered? <laughs> this is this is the acid test. Now, speaking of uh, remote working, uh, Trinity Business School had an interesting story out this week. Yeah, the the results are in. And uh, guess what? I mean, more good news for habitual remote workers because people sort of uh, are like, okay, you know, we've been working from home for so long now, but is it is it actually helping? Well, Mm. the literature is coming out and we're starting to see that, yes, indeed, it does. According to new research by a chap called Wadisla Rivkin at the Trinity Business School, uh, along with Fabia Gerpot and Dana Unger, um, they have found that commu- commuting does indeed drain your mental energy, affi- affecting your ability to focus on the tasks that you're doing by the time you arrive at work. I mean, big, big deal. We, we kind of knew this anyway. But now that we have something that we can compare it to, we, we can actually go, do you, do you know what? We have, we have literature here. We have examples. And we can say, yep, fundamentally, um, your commute is ruining your ability to work effectively. So it's being published in the Journal of Applied Psychology. So it has been peer reviewed. Uh, they took a sample of 53 employees across 411 data points. Uh, and they, they compared that against a, a study of 91 employees over 1719 day level data points. So they had a massive amount of information to work with. So they, again, they haven't plucked this out of nowhere. We, we actually have statistical evidence mm. to show that, yeah, your commute is actually really harmful. But uh, this is the time to be doing these studies. I mean, if you mm. were to, you know, try and get this commissioned five years ago, when people were just naturally sitting in their car for, you know, upwards of two hours a day, um, you wouldn't quite be laughed at, but it'd be very That's much crazy. a, do That's you crazy. know what would happen do you know yeah. how disruptive this kind of work would be? Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's officially out there. So the shift towards remote working, it's good news mm. for your work-life balance. It's good work. It's good for your productivity. Mm. It's good for your cognitive processing. Yes, Zoom is quite but knackering, but hey, maybe they're onto something. A lot, a lot of people have been onto it uh, for quite a while, actually. Uh, Fidelity Investments, all right, I know they sponsor the show, but uh, they were a sponsor with us last year and they were well in the flow of remote working. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why they've come back to us this year because it's worked uh, uh, so well and they're looking for more people in Ireland uh, who want to work in tech roles but want to do so from home. Get rid of that commute. Uh, don't be worrying about safety or anything like that. You know, kind of do do your own thing at home um, and just have the kind of freedom that you'd always like with your, your job. Fidelityinvestments.ie is the uh, website. I just, uh, I did promise I'd mention again. Fidelityinvestments.ie and the uh, website is mentioned in the notes as well. What else have we got going on this week? Uh, oh, very quickly, uh, Spotify are jacking up the prices for their duo and their family, but I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything about the regular uh, cost yet. Okay, we we actually mentioned, uh, or rather talked a little bit about this before. Mm. And I wonder if we're going to see uh, a little bit more of this phenomena. Now, I know Spotify doesn't suffer from this terribly because an awful lot of artists uh, have been very sceptical about Spotify because they looked at the revenue they were getting per stream and went, what? Point zero, 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 whatever um, per stream. I mean, that's not 
commercially viable. So I think Radiohead pulled their catalogue, Tool pulled their catalogue for a while. Um, I don't know if they're back up there. I knew they had their last album streaming on Spotify for a while. Mm. Um, so, you know, not a great deal for artists. So, you know, some fairly high profile names pulled out. But it makes me wonder about this thing that I'm dubbing catalogue inflation. Right. Maybe doesn't apply to Spotify so much because uh, I think music is slightly more subjective. But if you look at the likes of Amazon Prime or Netflix or whatever, the amount of time you spend scrolling through content might have gone up, but the amount of stuff worth watching has either stayed constant or has actually decreased. Um, and I think we're finding that we are paying more for bigger catalogs but we're not paying more for more watchable content. So how much is Spotify putting up their rates by, do you know? Uh, yeah, they, they've got a, the regular plan, uh, which I'm on, is, is 9 to 9 a month. <clears throat> so it's a tenner a month and it's fine. It's for one person. Yeah. Uh, if you want to have, like, if you've got a couple like yourself, myself, we've got uh, ladies in, in, in the background supporting us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could have a package where on the one deal, each of you gets an individual Spotify account. And that's twelve fifty at the moment. Uh, they're jacking that up by one euro fifty to the 14 euro, essentially. It's mm. called a duo. And then they've got a family where you can have six people living under the one roof uh, and that's going from 15 euro up to 18 euro. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not into this whole multiple profiles thing. Oh, I'm I think it's not. great. Do you? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Because uh, with Netflix, uh, like Netflix, everything goes under under my list and like when she's clicking the murder programs that she wants to watch right mm-hmm. it comes up on my list and then I'm going through my list and all I see is murder 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 yeah. murder. I wonder if she's trying to tell me something okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I might see a half decent science fiction movie yeah <laughs> oh that was me yeah yeah so I would much prefer to, and I know we have the profiles but we never use the profiles on the Netflix mm. account you yeah, know, uh, but I think with the Spotify, because you would have different logins depending on who you are. Do you know what I mean? So you would have your email address, and uh, 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 Mrs. Nile would have her email address to log into Spotify, mm-hmm. and then you would be able to just use it as you so wish without getting your musical tastes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Meh. Yeah. I, I don't well, know. Well, I just I made my peace with having to wander the earth when it comes to catalogs a, a long time ago. Mm. So I'm not I'm not sold on it. That um, you know, I will listen to stuff not with a view to actually listening to something I know, but from a music discovery perspective. So I will hear about a band on a couple of YouTube channels, maybe that that I follow, and mm. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds that's a good referral, you know. So, so I'll explore that. So I tend not to rely on the algorithm so much because it tends to feed back to me a lot of stuff that I know about already. So uh, in discovery terms, I just like to let it run. Now, when it comes into, you know, uh, you are now listening to band X radio, you know. Uh, where you'll hear bands that are like something. I'm like, okay, if if I decide to do that, it's it's my own choice. Mm. Um, very rarely do it though. I, I I still go by personal recommendations. All right. Well, that's Spotify. Another one last story before we go. Just almost out of time here. Um, and also to do with catalogs. Okay, you know when you go onto iTunes and you buy a movie. Sure. 
so that it's yours and you can watch it anyway. Apparently, well, that's not it forever. It isn't, but anyway. Exactly. And there's a lot of people that don't realise that because you think because you've bought it, you should be able to download it at any time ever for the rest of your yeah. life. And Apple are going, well, actually, no. no. Don't be silly. No reasonable human being would think that. Well, the problem is, is that 99% of reasonable human beings do think that. If I buy that video off iTunes, as long as I have an iTunes account, I should be able to log in and download it and watch it. So anyway, there's a court case being brought uh, in California about that, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. Like, I, you I, see, and that's what I miss about physical media. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like if it's a CD or a DVD or a video cassette or if it's vinyl, it doesn't matter, right? You've got the content, all right, mm. which is what you like, and it's there in physical form in your house and nobody can take it. Yeah, that's why I'm dying for the shops to open so I can go down and support my local businesses and get things that I, I quite like. But yeah, you remember this story blew up years ago when it came to one of Bruce Willis's daughters. Um, he, he was like, OK, who it, it came up like who owns your iTunes library if you pass on or, you know, you decide not to pay anymore or whatever. Uh, and, it, and it emerged that no, you don't own this stuff. You own the license to play it. You do that's as it. an individual, that's it. As, yeah. a, as the account holder, that's yeah. it. That's all you own. Yeah. And they would have always said that is that you don't own the contents as in you don't own the book and you don't own the words, or you don't own the song or the music or the notes within it or whatever, but you own the physical thing that it has arrived on and you can listen to it to your heart's content as long as you like. Mm. Once it's for yourself, you can't yep. resell it. You can't copy it now. I think we're kind of used to that. Mm. Anyways. All right. OK, listen, on that note, shall mm. we leave our news there for this week? Yes. Thank you, Niall, uh, for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. We talk a lot about how great ideas can be turned into great businesses, but what supports are out there to actually help? This week marks EU Knowledge Valorization Week, which brings together EU policymakers to discuss what strategies and tools are helping boost the commercial uptake of research results that benefit us all. Now, Kitson caught up with Knowledge Transfer Ireland's director, Alison Campbell, to find out more. Tell us a little bit about EU Valorisation Week. What exactly is it and why should we be interested? EU Valorisation Week um, is happening for the first time this year and it's an initiative from the European Commission. And it's all about how publicly funded research can be used to benefit the economy and society at large, what those outputs lead to. And I think particularly um, thinking about those benefits for, for, for business. Um, what's really nice about the EU Valorisation Week is, it, you know, it looks across the member states um, to see where the good practice lies. It's got quite a lot of focus on intellectual property, so it chimes very nicely. The 26th of April was World Intellectual Property Day. Um, and it's, it's real, the real intent is to, um, to flag how important it is um, for companies and other user users to really avail of 
the richness that sits within research, both in terms of research itself, its outputs, um, and the expertise of researchers around Europe. And really, all of that is focused around how in Europe we can be more competitive and we can you know, deliver a lot of benefits for, for society and for public at large by this kind of engagement with research. It, it's really important. And it's, it's a really important pillar of um, the EU strategy and the big EU funding that's available through Horizon Europe. And I tell you, that's something that we benefit from really well here in, in Ireland. Yes, I suppose Ireland has been particularly successful in uh, Horizon 2020 funding. I, I guess that speaks to the, the quality of ideas that are happening in Ireland and the return the Exchequer is getting on the kind of research that we're seeing, for example, through the Science Foundation Ireland Centres, where I think it's it's said that something like five euros generated for every one euro donated uh, or one euro secured in uh, in grants, that there, there, is a, there is a definite uh, return on investment there. And there, there is kind of a culture in the university universities, I think, of seeing the commercial applications of, in, of uh, new ideas and, and intellectual property that maybe there wasn't there before. You know, maybe people entered academia with a view to staying within the academy. Now, do you think it's fair to say there is a lot more of a business mindset um, I'd, I'd say there is. You know, we have a national strategy for, for research and innovation, and that's incredibly helpful because it, it focuses minds on, on direction. Um, and very much there, there is a focus and there has been a focus on the value of research and the value that research can bring in terms of, of commercialization and more generally um, engagement with companies. And we've sort of seen that writ large. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of, of funding supports that are out there that are really there to help companies innovate, uh, you know, from a very small scale through, say, an enterprise innovation voucher, Enterprise Island innovation voucher for 5K, through to, to bigger instruments that can offer up to 200K to help a big research collaborative partnership for, for companies. You know, we're all about in Ireland, we're all about what can we do to help companies? What can we do to help them innovate and what can we do to help give them a, a real competitive edge? Um, and it really is, you know, quite a joined up system and, and quite attractive. And as you rightly say, universities and, and, and institutes, yeah, have a, have a role to play there. And it's, it's a balance. It's a balance between working with companies. It's about spawning new companies, but it's also about making sure that they're also delivering on, um, longer term research because short term benefits and agility, particularly as we've seen in the recent pandemic, actually come off the back of long term investment, you know, long term research and, and science outputs and, and having the experts in the field. So it, it, it has to complement each other. But yeah, definitely there is a there is a focus on this and, and rightly so. So when we're looking at the outputs of research, whether it be publicly or privately funded, uh, we we have you know intellectual property. Hopefully, at, at the end of a, a particular study, something that is perhaps useful with with actual applications. But what protections does it actually have? I mean, in technology, we're very used to people working with APIs, working with open source, uh, which means that you know that it might be either. Uh, more difficult to get a patent on it, one imagines, or, you know, there might be a, a legal argument over whether something that has been patented should in fact be open source. So, you know, what what is the um, what is the process in place and how do you manage to decide whether something is patentable or not? 
Okay, well, there's there's a whole bunch of, of questions in there, and I'll sort of start from, from the top and then work myself way around in, in, in a circle through them. So, I guess, I guess the first thing is, you know, your question, what constitutes um, intellectual property? And I, I suppose it's worthwhile saying there's different kinds of intellectual property and there's different ways in which it can be protected. You, you talked about patents, and we'll, we'll touch on that. Um, there's also trademarks, copyright, design rights and know-how, you know, and know-how is what it says on the tin. It's what you know. Um, and sometimes you need that to supplement something like like patenting. Sometimes you might even be wanting to keep that that know-how secret. Um, the majority of them, patents, trademarks, copyright, design rights, can all be protected in different ways. And what protection means is that it gives you, as the owner of that right, the ability to defend a bit of space from others who might be wanting to, to operate in it. And I can talk a little bit more about that um, that later. But your, your, your question of how do, how do you start and, and where do you start? I mean, the, the very first thing you need to do is, is, is figure out if you have something that is worthy of, of protection. There's actually lots of information that was that helps explain what those different forms of, of rights are. And, and one of the best places to go for just a really simple explanation is actually to go to the um, the Intellectual Property Office of, of Ireland, their website. It, it has in a nutshell what those different elements are. Or um, if you want to know a little bit more um, about inter intellectual property and confidentiality, then Knowledge Transfer Ireland, where I work on our website, we're chock full of resources. And it includes a, a nice guide to managing IP. IP and managing um, confidentiality. Um, and you can find that at uh, knowledgetransferisland.com. Um, so, we've got information there. But you know, at the outset, figure if you've got something. And really importantly, figure out if you've got a bit of clear space around you. So, what you need to do is use our, our trusty friend, Google, and figure out if anybody else is also working in the area or has protected something in the area. There's loads of free resources out there. One of them that I particularly like is something called Espasnet, and that's the, the European um, database of all patents that have been filed and are now published. You can look there similarly um, within the UK. You can have a really good search and see who else is, is filing for protection in the area that you're interested in. That gives you two really good uh, pieces of information. One, if somebody else has already got it, you can't go there and you need to think about can you invent around the side? Is, is there something they haven't covered? The other thing is, gives you a really useful bit of competitive information to see who's working on what. And one of the key things about a patent application is that it's got to be written in such a way that it's understandable and somebody else can actually carry out that work. Once you've got your patent granted, the deal is you get the right to defend it from others, but you have to ex explain how it works. So, that, that's a handy bit of um, competitive intelligence. Now, you're asking me there about open source. Mm. Um, and just to be clear, that often um, describes things like software um, and publicly available source codes. And that means that third parties can access them, modify them, and you know, and go on to redistribute them. Whereas in comparison, you can have source codes of closed software and a, and a closed source isn't disclosed to the public and may only be licensed on in very limited circumstances. Um, 
So that's that's your sort of your, your two things. But you know, open doesn't mean it's free. So that that's that's a thing to think about when you're thinking about open source. It does actually have some obligations um, and some responsibilities with it. And actually, there are there is licensing that goes around it. So traditionally. Um, there might be copyright, in which case, you know, somebody will grant a license for a very specific person to somebody else. It may be that they need to sort of pay them to, to, to do that. Um, but actually, under, under open source, there may actually be some restrictions that sit around how you use that. And there's two main ways of doing it. One is that you have to, if you've used open source, you've got to distribute any copies and any modified versions of it um, and offer the same rights to other people. Or it might be that there's a different kind of right that sits around it called a permissive right. And that means there's some minimal requirements. So it's, it's, not, it's not quite so draconian as that. But the key thing, I think, for a company looking to use open source is that they, on the one hand, need to be very aware of what they're using and what restrictions sit around it. Um, and they also need to think for themselves how they're building their own IP assets. And they might want to strike a balance between what they're doing that's open source and what they might be doing that's, that's proprietary. Um, so, you know, not as straightforward as it, as it might seem. Um, for all of these things, I, I would often say it's probably worthwhile, you know, uh, consulting a patent agent um, or an IP um, attorney. It sounds expensive. It, it isn't always so. And it really does give you a good idea if you're serious about what some of the pitfalls could be, or do you really, really have something there that, that's protectable? Um, the other thing I would mention, actually, because it is really relevant, is that you're not in this on your own. And I was talking earlier on about the kinds of supports that are available to really help companies um, innovate. There's some um, really good supports that are also available to help companies think about intellectual property. Um, and one from Enterprise Island is the IP strategy offer. And that really helps companies you know, think around IP awareness, think about IP management, and can help towards the cost of getting some external advice. And that, that's particularly geared to, to SMEs to try and relieve some of those sort of key barriers about thinking about really engaging with intellectual property. Um, and it's one of those words, I think, IP, you know, it's, it's kind of, is it tangible? Is it intangible? Where does it fit? I actually think it's a real asset. It, it's an asset for a company that, that's very tradable. It's an asset that give investors confidence to invest. And it's an asset that you can actually see sit on balance sheets. So, it's well worth considering um, and it's well worth getting involved with. One aspect of doing a little bit of due diligence and seeing if somebody is working in a field that you're you're already looking to develop a product in is perhaps developing a, a culture of collaboration specifically across the EU where we're looking towards harmonization, for example, in the in the digital single market plan. So to what extent are we seeing SMEs reaching out across Europe and going, hey, you know, you're working at something uh, here, but we've got this idea over here. Let's collaborate and let's come up with something better. I think we see a lot of collaboration and, and I think, you know, we're we're particularly successful with some of the, the EU programs that are geared specifically for SMEs. I think Irish SMEs respond really well to those. Um, 
And, uh, you know, that's, that's in, in no small part to the Horizon Europe, Europe team that's operating ba- actually based in Enterprise Ireland, but, you know, are, are really out there helping companies and really helping companies avail of that, that whole variety of different kinds of funding support that's available. And as you, as you rightly say, so much of that is done in collaboration. It's, you know, cross European um, collaborations. And it's also a lot of it will involve a part who might be a higher education institute. And I really would encourage companies to to think about that. You know, the the kind of research and expertise that you can find that sits within a university or an institute of technology is fairly unique and can be incredibly helpful. And also, you're you're working with with teams of researchers and with a research organization that's actually quite familiar with putting proposals together. So, they can be actually very helpful in, in securing the funding and also very helpful in terms of delivery and providing those sorts of niche pieces of expertise or access to facilities and equipment that you just wouldn't have in a company. And actually, you really wouldn't want to bring in-house because the cost of doing that really doesn't you know, pay for itself. So, why not collaborate and, and, and work outside? And I, I do think that you know, we're really good at doing that in Ireland. You know, it, it's, we're very open for business within our higher education and institutes. We've got some great ways of working. At Knowledge Transfer Ireland, we, we offer a portal into, into the research system. It's very easy to see who's working where, to search experts and find them, um, and also to, to understand the tools and mechanisms that you can use. We've also got some information about the different funding sources that are currently available to allow companies to engage in R&D and R&D with with universities and, and institutes. And that includes access to, you know, the, the EU funding supports and also those that are open, you know, specific Irish supports as well. So, I, I'd encourage people to come on to the KTI website and just have a look at our RD and, and innovation funding tool because that that's actually a really handy resource. It tells you what kind of money you could get for what um, and takes you direct to the sites that, that you need. And, you know, these days, all of them have got lots of really helpful information that both explain what the various programs are about, but invariably have links to the sorts of people that you need to be talking to who can really help you think through how you might apply for that program or whether it fits for you. One last point, when people talk about intellectual property, they they also sometimes think of this vast battleground that's happening uh, in the US uh, against China. And of course, we'll be going to going into battle perhaps against the UK in a post-Brexit research environment. So what steps can you take to protect yourself? Are we going to see a, an all-EU approach to protecting IP? That's a very interesting question. And I'm not sure that we can see um, an all EU approach, and the reason I say that is that in all I, we, we've we've moved towards sort of you know harmonisation in terms of you know, your, the concept of a European patent, but ultimately Brexit or no Brexit, you know Brexit is about the administration of certain things, but ultimately when we're looking at um, protecting IP, when we're looking at protecting our positions, we're actually looking at, here's a position that a company has, it needs to protect that against, you know, the others who are, who are coming um, 
you know, out and walking into their, their particular space. And so what we've got in Europe and we've always had in Europe, you know, is a really good, strong IP regime. And that stands. So, you know, Patents, for example, um, trademarks that we large copyright, you know, they go through a very, very stringent process. They're awarded. There's, there's appropriate systems for challenge that exist. I think what we are seeing is that in other jurisdictions, um, actually that the standards and the IP standards, you know, are beginning to, to raise as, as well. So actually we should be moving towards a slightly more level playing field, you know, over time. But ultimately it's about, you need to understand if you're looking at an international marketplace, you really need to understand where you want to be, which markets you want to need you want to go into. And then you need to think about what kind of protection you need to get for yourself in those markets. So, for example, you know, having a, a, yeah, a patent granted in Ireland is terrific. But if your main market of operation is the USA, you really need to file a patent in the States. You know, similarly, if you think that there's um, major manufacturers who might be infringing you and they're based in Germany, you might want to make sure that you've got the right kind of, of protection in Germany as well. So, this sort of takes me back to that idea that I was talking about, about you know an IP strategy. You really need to think that through as much as you're thinking through every other aspect of your business strategy, of your, of your product development and of your market development. They actually go hand in hand. But it really can reap rewards because if you've got that level, of protection, you've got some comfort that you can develop your product lines and your service lines. You've got some sense that you can, you know, walk into other markets. And you've also got something, you know, that you can begin to have conversations with other people about and think about trading if you need to. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Alison Campbell, a director with Knowledge Transfer Ireland. That's our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily daily newsletters and more, which you can grab at our website, techcentral.ie, or of course, listen to us each week online or Fridays on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.